Chapter Six of No Great Magic by Fritz Lieber. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Six. I will vault credit and affect high pleasures beyond death. Ferdinand. I sat down where Martin had been, first pushing the screen far enough to the side for me to see the length of the dressing room and notice anyone coming through the door and any blurs moving behind the thin white curtain shutting off the boy's two-thirds. I'd been going to think, but instead I just sat there, experiencing my body and the room around it, steadying myself or maybe readying myself. I couldn't tell which, but it was nothing to think about, only to feel. My heartbeat became a very faint, slow, solid throb. My spine straightened. No one came in or went out. Distantly I heard Macbeth and the witches and the apparitions talk. Once I looked at the New York screen, but all the stuff there had grown stale. No protection, no nothing. I reached down to my suitcase, and from where I'd been going to get a milltown, I took a dexedrine and popped it in my mouth. Then I started out, beginning to shake. When I got to the end of the curtain I went around it to Sid's dressing-table and asked Shakespeare, Am I doing the right thing, Pop? But he didn't answer me out of his portrait. He just looked sneaky innocent, like he knew a lot but wouldn't tell, and I found myself think of a little silver-framed photo Sid had used to keep there, too, of a cocky German-looking young actor named Eric, autographed across it in white ink. At least I supposed he was an actor. He looked a little like Eric von Stroheim, but nicer, yet somehow nastier, too. The photo had used to upset me, I don't know why. Sid must have noticed it, for one day it was gone. I thought of the tiny black-and-silver spider crawling across the remembered silver frame, and for some reason it gave me the cold creeps. Well, this wasn't doing me any good, just making me feel dismal again, so I quickly went out. In the door I had to slip around the actors coming back from the cauldron scene, and the big bolt nicked my hip. Outside Maud was peeling off her third witch stuff to reveal Lady Macduff beneath. She twitched me a grin. "'How's it going?' I asked. "'Okay, I guess,' she shrugged. "'What an audience! Noisy as high school kids!' "'How come Sid didn't have a boy do your part?' I asked. "'He goofed, I guess.' But I battened down my bosoms, and playing Mrs. Macduff as a boy. How does a girl do that in a dress? I asked. She sits stiff and thinks pants, she said, handing me her witch robe. Excuse me now, I got to find my children and go get murdered. I'd moved a few steps nearer the stage when I felt the gentlest tug at my hip. I looked down and saw that a taut black thread from the bottom of my sweater connected me with the dressing-room. It must have snagged on the big bolt and unraveled. I moved my body an inch or so, tugging it delicately, to see what it felt like, and I got answers. Theseus's clue, a spider's line, an umbilicus. I reached down close to my side and snapped it with my fingernails. The black thread leaped away, but the dressing-room door didn't vanish, or the wings change, or the world end and I didn't fall down. After that I stood there for quite a while, feeling my new freedom and steadiness, letting my body get used to it. 
I didn't do any thinking. I hardly bothered to study anything around me, though I did notice that there were more bushes and trees than set-pieces, and that the flickery lighting was simply torches, and that Queen Elizabeth was in, or back in, the audience. Sometimes letting your body get used to something is all you should do, or maybe can do. And I did smell horse-dung. When Lady Macduff's scene was over, and the chicken scene well begun, I went back to the dressing-room. Actors call it the chicken scene because Macduff weeps in it about all my pretty chickens and their dam, meaning his kids and wife being murdered, at one fell swoop on orders of that chicken-yard raiding hell-kite Macbeth. Inside the dressing-room I steered down the boy's side. Doc was putting on an improbable-looking dark make-up for Macbeth's last faithful servant, Satan. He didn't seem as boozy-woozy as usual for fourth act, but just the same I stopped to help him get into a chain-mail shirt made of thick cord woven and silvered. In the third chair beyond Sid was sitting back with his corset loosened and critically surveying Martin, who'd now changed to a white wool nightgown that clung and draped beautifully, but not particularly enticingly, on him and his folded towel which had slipped a bit. From beside Sid's mirror Shakespeare smiled out of his portrait at them like an intelligent big-headed bug. Martin stood tall, spread his arms rather like a high priest, and intoned, Amici Romani Populares. I nudged Doc. What goes on now? I whispered. He turned a bleary eye on them. I think they are rehearsing Julius Caesar in Latin, he shrugged. It begins the oration of Antony. But why? I asked. Sid does like to put every moment to use when the performance fire is in people. But this project seemed pretty far afield, hyper-pedantic. Yet at the same time I felt my scalp shivering as if my mind were jumping with speculations just below the surface. Doc shook his head and shrugged again. Sid shoved a palm at Martin and roared softly, Sir Death, boy, thou art not playing a Roman statua, but a Roman. Loosen your knees and try again. Then he saw me. Signing Martin to stop, he called, Come hither, sweetling. I obeyed quickly. He gave me a fiendish grin, and said, Thou'st heard our proposal from Martin. What saith thou, wench? This time the shiver was in my back. It felt good. I realized I was grinning back at him, and I knew what I'd been getting ready for the last twenty minutes. I'm on, I said. Count me in the company. Sid jumped up and grabbed me by the shoulders and hair and bust me on both cheeks. It was a little like being bombed. Prodigious, he cried. Thou'lt play the gentlewoman in the sleepwalking scene to-night. Martin, her costume. Now, sweet wench, mark me well. His voice grew grave and old. When was it she last walked? The new courage went out of me like water down a chute. But, Siddy, I can't start to-night, I protested, half pleading, half outraged. To-night or never. "'Tis an emergency. We're short-handed." Again his voice changed. "'When was it she last walked?' "'But, Siddy, I don't know the part.' "'You must. You've heard the play twenty times this past year. When was it she last walked?' 
Martin was back, and yanking down a blonde wig on my head, and shoving my arms into a light gray robe. "'I've never studied the lines!' I squeaked at Sidney. "'Liar! I've watched your lips move a dozen nights when you watch the scene from the wings. Close your eyes, girl. Martin, unhand her. Close your eyes, girl. Empty your mind, and listen, listen only. When was it she last walked?" In the blackness I heard myself replying to that cue, first in a whisper, then more loudly, then full-throated but grave. Since His Majesty went into the field, I have seen her rise from her bed, throw her nightgown upon her, unlock her closet, take forth— Bravissimo! Siddy cried, and bombed me again. Martin hugged his arm around my shoulders, too, then quickly stooped to start hooking up my robe from the bottom. But that's only the first line, Siddy, I protested. They're enough. But, Siddy, what if I blow up? I asked. Keep your mind empty. You won't. Further, I'll be at your side, doubling the doctor, to prompt you if you pause. That ought to take care of two of me, I thought. Then something else struck me. But, Siddy, I quavered. How do I play the gentlewoman as a boy?" "'Boy?' he demanded wonderingly. "'Play her without falling down flat on your face, and I'll be past measure happy.' And he smacked me hard on the fanny. Martin's fingers were darting at the next to the last hook. I stopped him and shoved my hand down the neck of my sweater, and got hold of the subway token and the chain it was on, and yanked. It burned my neck but the gold links parted. I started to throw it across the room, but instead I smiled at Siddy and dropped it in his palm. "'The sleepwalking scene!' Maud hissed insistently to us from the door. End of chapter 6